In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and I would be remiss to uh, gloss over the collect of the day. A collect is a prayer that collects the prayers of the people. So we're all praying together, and then one prayer uh, kind of combines them all together. And there's uh, always a collect that goes with the lectionary, so each Sunday of the year has a different collect. Uh, Many of them are quite old. This is one of the oldest uh, written in English. Uh, It was uh, published in the 1549 prayer book and written by Archbishop Cranmer. Uh, himself and uh, most people that I know that are uh, you know long time Anglicans maybe born uh, this is one of our favorite collects um, it seems uh, so many people uh, love this collect in particular and uh, it, it of course is focusing on our relationship with scripture and just briefly it's focusing on the fact that we can't just receive scripture in one way if we're just hearing scripture that's maybe not going to be enough Uh, If we're just reading it, that's not going to be enough either. We need to be doing more than one thing. And uh, uh, Cranmer is encouraging us here to um, hear them read. So that's what we do on Sunday, right? We come and often I advise you to, you know, maybe set your lessons down and close your eyes and just listen to the words being read uh, to receive it, um, you know, in an auditory fashion. Uh, Then we've got time to read, right? We've got time for our own private reading of Scripture. Uh, We've got to mark Scripture, right? Right? If you uh, have seen uh, the Bible of uh, someone who has been faithfully doing their Bible study, you'll open it up and you'll find marks all over, underlining and highlighting and notes in the margin. Bishop John David used to fill his Bible so much that he'd have to get a new one every year because he filled in those margins so fully. So uh, we mark that as we study, right? Uh, we learn, so looking up words or comparing it to other parts of Scripture. And then inwardly di- digesting, to making it a part of the way that we speak. Scripture should be a part of our daily speech patterns. We should be quoting Scripture. We should be making it a part of the way that we talk to one another. So that inwardly digesting means it's now a part of us and it becomes the way that we communicate with one another. So there are many uh, things for us to do in Scripture, and uh, we need to know uh, the Scriptures, and we need to know their history and where they come from, which is why when we talk about the ancient prophets, I try to spend a little bit of time uh, putting us in the right context, because we have to know what's going on and who the prophet is in order to better understand uh, that word. So here today we're reading from Malachi. Malachi is often considered the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's indeed the last written. And uh, he is one who has been uh, now born in that time that the temple has been reestablished. And so uh, he's back in Jerusalem. He's back in Judea. And uh, they're around maybe 450, 430 B.C., uh, just about 100 years before the coming of Alexander the Great. Of course, uh, the word of the Lord doesn't stop. We have uh, many scriptures written uh, that we call the Deuterocanon between that time of Malachi and the coming of Christ. But they're mostly uh, books of wisdom. They're mostly histories. uh, They're mostly books that are not uh, this kind of prophetic work uh, that Malachi gives us. And what is Malachi doing? He's doing the same thing that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. He is uh, giving us this picture.
picture of history, uh, a, a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah. And he never really distinguishes between the two. They seem to be kind of stacked one on top of the other or wrapped together in this kind of spiraling of history. We've talked about this uh, for several weeks now about how Christian history is a spiral where we're repeating themes while moving forward. And so Malachi is talking all at once and together about the first coming of the Messiah and about the second coming of the Messiah. And he's uh, talking to us about John the Baptist. This is the messenger that he sends to prepare the way. So he's telling us about the coming of uh, John the Baptist, which of course is foretold by several of the Old Testament prophets. And what does he tell us? He tells that the the Messiah is going to come suddenly. And when we hear that the prophet, uh, the Messiah is coming suddenly, we know that uh, that is encouraging us to have preparation, right? When we know that something is going to happen quickly and that we're not going to have advanced warning, uh, that is our signal that we need to be prepared. This is the way we talk about natural disasters, right? You never know when one is going to strike. You've got to be ready for it. You've got to do those things that will help you to um, survive that disaster. And the coming of the Messiah is a little bit like a natural disaster and the way that it's talked about, right? Mountains being brought down, valleys being raised up. It has that that uh, natural disaster feel to it. And so does the concept of preparing. But we're not preparing by storing up food. We're preparing by uh, 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 preparing our hearts, right? We're leveling our hearts. We're making our hearts ready for the coming of the Messiah and for his teaching and word. And so we have to soften our hearts and we have to uh, bring offerings of righteousness. And so he's taking Malachi here at the end of this temple period. He's bringing this concept of the temple, this concept of offerings to God. And he's instructing us about what kind of offerings we're supposed to be making. It's not bulls and uh, rams. It is the offering of righteousness. That what we bring to the Lord in thanksgiving is a life of, of righteous living. And uh, Malachi points out just several um, parts of this righteous living, which I think are very important because in what they call the enlightenment period of uh, history that uh, we are um, inheritors of, there's become this idea of public and private, right? That we're going to have a public kind of a persona and a private persona. We're encouraged to do this in the workplace, right? Keep your private life uh, at home and don't talk about your private beliefs in the workplace. It's encouraged more and more in society. I think we have to reject that. Uh, it's not Christian. It's not uh, what it uh, is that the gospel encourages us to do. And indeed, this um, idea that Malachi has here, he's showing uh, that our uh, ethical living is combined. You can see what's happened uh, in the world when they use concepts like social justice, right? Uh, like there's any particular kinds of justice. Justice is justice, right? And uh, there isn't one kind of justice here and another here. There's also for us, when we're going to live ethically and righteously, there isn't the opportunity for us to live that way at home and not in a place of business or in politics or government. Uh, Vice versa, we don't get to do one thing in politics and government that we're not going to do at home. And so there's this Uh, this unity that we have to have in abiding by the word of God. And so uh, what are the things that Malachi points out in verse 5? He talks about sorcerers, 
What is sorcery? What's he talking about here? Some people have gotten confused and think that um, he's talking about like Prothero from the Tempest, right? That's not what we're being warned about. This is not about Harry Potter or Prothero. We're not supposed to put away these plays about sorcerers. That's not the sorcerers he's talking about, right? Nobody's riding on broomsticks. But there are real people who are trying to be sorcerers. They don't look like anything like Prothero and the Tempest. These are people that are trying to influence the natural order, influence others by their own learning. They're trying to to get a power over the natural order of power over other people and of course we're supposed to be humbly submitting ourselves to god that's what this kind of sorcery or witchcraft that's grown in popularity in the last few years is right it's about gaining a kind of advantage or power over other people where we're supposed to be humbly submitted to god and to one another adultery of course um we've talked about i don't think we need to go into that uh swearing falsely right don't lie in whatever situation and don't oppress those who are in need right those who need protection so we can see this public and private this inside of the home morality and this outside of the home joined together they cannot be separated and so we're supposed to prepare our hearts and our minds for the coming of the messiah so that we are prepared and of course the time that is foretold we see in the prophets is perfectly fulfilled in the person of our lord and savior jesus christ and in john the baptist here in luke's gospel we've spent three chapters talking about the coming of christ luke spends all this time preparing us where mark just jumps right in in chapter one right we get the baptism and we get the ministry luke spends all this time laying groundwork right he talks to us about uh elizabeth and zechariah he talks to us about how zechariah Zechariah receives this promise of John the Baptist. We see Mary and Elizabeth coming together, right? Which is that that foretelling, that that foreshadowing, that um, that Advent preparation, which is why we have Mary and Elizabeth, right, to, with the Annunciation and the meeting together as our icon in the narthex, right? That's why that's our Advent icon. These two ladies, these two pregnant women, coming and um, and proclaiming the gospel to themselves when nobody else knew it, right? It's a very important image for us as the church these two pregnant women uh, meeting together and so all this groundwork has been laid by Luke and now he's saying here's the time for the Messiah to come how does he tell us that he puts us very clearly and specifically now in a time and place where before what we'd read in the prophets we're getting this kind of general understanding of the coming now saint luke is saying he is here at this time and in this place right the 15th year of the reign of tiberius caesar and he doesn't just use that roman calendar he doesn't just use that roman figure he also adds Pilate to it he adds on to it um herod and these uh what we might call client kings of the romans right the romans would use these client kings these client states uh so they would give them a certain power and authority to operate um kind of um as as hirelings to the romans so we get that uh date as well right for philip tetrarch of the region of iteria and abilene uh and herod being tetrarch of galilee so these are two client kings also who can be dated we have very accurate historical information about these men we have accurate historical information of course about the romans we have accurate historical information even about um annas and caiaphas right josephus talks about them 200 years later so we have multiple dating sources that tell us exactly when this period of time is and saint luke says he comes at this time but it's more than that what's he doing he's telling us why it is the messiah is coming now he's telling us there is no king 
Just in in case you thought that there was, there isn't. Just the fact that he's named Herod and Philip tells us there is no king in Judea. These are not descendants of David. Herod is um, an Edomite, right? He's a descendant of Esau. He's not supposed to be king of Judea and of Jerusalem. He's an imposter. He's a poser, right? And every Jew would know that. They'd read that and say, he's not king. He's not supposed to be king, right? The, the priesthood has been silenced. We get that earlier in Luke. Remember when Zechariah goes in, it's his year to be the high priest, and he goes into the temple of God, he goes into the Holy of Holies, he tries to question the messenger of God, and what happened? Silenced. He can't speak. So the priesthood has been silenced. And of course we know the prophets haven't spoken now for hundreds of years. So the prophets have been silenced, the priesthood's been silenced, there's no king in Judea, that is, there is no law, there is no promise of God, and this is the time when the Messiah comes. And St. Luke says, now that the stage has been set, now that all of these roles have been completely um, left empty, the Messiah comes to fulfill them. And Jesus is that. He is our prophet, he is our priest, he is our king. He fulfills perfectly all of these roles. And John says that we have to, again, we have to be ready. And how do we do that? By a baptism of repentance. This, of course, is the first half of our baptismal liturgy, right? Hopefully we're going to have some baptisms here in January or February. Um, So we'll see this again. But you remember that in the baptismal liturgy, we have the confession of sin. We have the rejection of Satan. We have the washing of water, right? That's the baptism of repentance. And then you remember St. Paul comes along and acts the apostles and says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they say, what's that about, right? And so then we have the chrismation, the reception of the Holy Spirit after we've been washed in the waters of baptism. So this is the preparation portion of baptism that John the Baptist is uh, giving, right? He is laying that groundwork for Christ to come. And of course, the Holy Spirit does that. And John quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says we have to prepare the way. Prepare the way. That is, we have to make our hearts ready for the reception of the Holy Spirit. How do we make our hearts ready? By repentance. Just by saying, I'm not enough. Contrary to what the world would tell you, we're not enough. We're not enough by ourselves. We need God's grace. We need God's grace. Preparing the way in our hearts means admitting to ourselves and to anybody who will listen, I'm not enough. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it without God's help. How did you do that? God's help. How are you able to accomplish that? God's help. How are you able to go and make that happen? God's help. There's nothing that we're able to do that is righteous without God's grace. And of course, then the church receives that grace, the church receives the Holy Spirit, and then there are some people saying at that point, oh, well now, I'm not only enough, but I'm great. I'm sure none of you can relate to this. I can relate to it myself, right? We get that that power of the Holy Spirit and we start to feel a little bit full of ourselves, right? Maybe there's a miracle that's happened. Uh, Maybe uh, there's speaking in tongues or some other power of the Holy Spirit. And now we start to feel really great about ourselves in the church, right? We really are wonderful. And this is what the Corinthians are saying to St. Paul in their letters. They're saying, you know what? We'd like an apostle who's maybe got a better job. Maybe a guy who's a little better dressed. Maybe a guy that doesn't cause so many problems. 
Look at the great stuff that we've got going on here. We've got healings. We've got speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit's really flowing here. It's a really great thing. You're going to come and be a downer, and we don't need that. And what does St. Paul write in the letter to the Corinthians? He says, you have nothing that hasn't been given to you by God. You have nothing. And he says, you're going to judge me? He said, I can't judge myself. But we all will be when God comes again. Which, by the way, is really soon. Because that's how the church responds, right? He comes at any minute, like Malachi said. He said, prepare the way. It took 450 years. That may seem a long time to us. It's not to God. It's the attitude of preparation. He says, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose what the purposes of the heart. It's not what you did. It's why you did it. The Lord knows why you did it. The Lord knows why you said it. The Lord knows why it is that you wanted to do those things. He reads the heart. He reads the heart. And what does St. Paul do? After the, the coming of Christ, after his death and resurrection, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, after all these great miracles, what does he do? He takes us right back to the Sermon on the Mount and he says, how is it that we're supposed to be Christians? What do we do? When we're reviled, what do we do about it? Do we complain? Do we take people to court? Do we argue and fuss and tell other people? We bless. We bless. When persecuted, when we're fired because we shared the gospel, we're kept out of certain jobs and functions, what do we do? We endure. When we're slandered, when people tell lies about us, how do we respond? We entreat. What does that mean? We go before God to offer prayers for them. We go right back to the Sermon on the Mount and to the humility and the meekness that he tells us is the beginning of our Christian walk. And then St. Paul says, I'm going to come, and so is Christ, and with power. Dynama, grace. What is that? What is that that we're waiting for? What is this grace what is this hope, this power of God that is promised to us? St. Paul, or excuse me, Archbishop Cranmer says that if we're going to get it, we're going to have to read God's Word. It's kind of like one of my kids, I can't remember which brilliant one it was, a Bible study, compared um, this experience to uh, radio signals. You know, somebody comes into the room and says, did you know that right now, right here, there are hundreds of radio signals? We could listen to hundreds of radio signals right now. And somebody's going to say to you, I don't see them. I don't hear them. Well, you've got to have a radio. So like your Bible, you go and you get it and you sit in your pew with your radio on your lap and you say, I still don't hear anything. You're going to have to plug it in. That's prayer. You need to allow the grace of God to come in. So you've got your Bible, you've got your prayer, you plug it in, and you say, all I hear is static. Yeah, maybe the Lord's talking to me, but I can't really tell what. How are you going to tune it? St. Paul says, by coming in grace and power, that is obedience, hope, 
We have to do what God tells us to do. I'm not really sure I'm understanding what he's asking me to do. Go out and do it. Go out and try to do it. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bless. We're supposed to endure. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to show love. And then when we're obedient, that signal gets tuned. And the more that we're obedient, the more that signal is tuned. As long as we've got our scripture, and we're waiting on the Lord in power, and we allow him to speak in our lives. And we experience the faith and obedience that has always been promised to us. May we hope in everlasting life this day and forevermore.